Hey, good morning. I can't believe this is the last weekend of Pillow Talk. Where'd the time go? Uh, today, I want to talk to you about the most serious of all my topics in this, in this uh, talk that I'm, of these series of talks that I'm giving, and it is sexual healing. Um, <laughs> for many of us who are here today, there are things that we can look at in our past that we're in a sexual area that we're ashamed of or we're not proud of or maybe even things that still call us, cause us pain. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about those today, and, and here's what my prayer is for you when you leave this place today, or at least very soon after that, is that you will experience healing in your life. And, and the reason why I use the term healing is this. As a pastor for many years, I've had people share with me things in their past that they did that they're not proud of in the sexual area. And often the question that they ask me when they get through is, Mark, can God forgive me? And the answer to that question, of course, is unequivocally yes. I mean, every weekend, I love my job. I get to stand before you and tell you First John chapter 1 and many other chapters in the Bible tell us, quote, that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, I'm not smart, but I know what all means. You know, whatever you've done in your past, it's part of all. Whatever I've done, it's part of all. So, the question, can God forgive me of, of all my sins, the answer is certainly yes. And many times I'm talking to someone who is, who's been a Christ follower, so I know that God has forgiven them of all their sins. But they're still asking me because something that happened maybe six months ago or a year ago or maybe 30 years ago is still troubling them. And they'll ask me, Mark, can God forgive me? And with all tender and due respect, I think that's the wrong question to ask. Because the question, can God forgive me, is so apparent and so available. And oftentimes the people who ask me the question, I know they know the answer. But I think really what they're trying to ask me is, can God heal me from what I've experienced? Can I ever be right again? Can I ever be a whole integrated person again? Is it possible for me to live out my life without the crippling emotion of guilt? And I, can't, I am so pumped about the talk I'm about to deliver because I know the answer to that question is yes. It is so very much yes. Now here's where I need to start, and this is what's going to cause some of you some difficulty. In fact, if you're here today and you're not a church person, you didn't grow up in church, you may actually have the advantage over some of the rest of us. And uh, that's perhaps rare, but at least in this area, you probably have an advantage over us. Because I want to talk to many of us who grew up in church, and we've heard many sermons, we've memorized Bible verses, and we've been part of a religious system. (laughs) Here's the problem with us. We, this, this whole book is about grace. I mean, that's not the problem. I'll get to the problem in a moment. This, this, but this book is about grace. And, and, and if I could sum up, if I could sum up the, the message of God to people, uh, it would be this. Come as you are to Christ. Come as you are. God will not leave you like he found you. But it is just come just like you are. The worst thing that anybody can try to do in approaching Christ is try to clean themselves up in some way in which God will accept them. You will never be able to put your life in a box, cover it with wrapping paper, tie a bow on it, and give it to God and say, here's my life. I'm now worthy of your love and respect. Never going to happen. So the best thing that you can do is instead of trying to clean yourself up, just come just like you are because that is how Jesus wants you to come. He will receive you just as you are. This is, that, that, those two statements summed up in a word is grace. And this is the message of the Bible. Grace, 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 grace. What does grace mean? The very word grace means gift. Uh, it comes from the Greek word charis, C-H-A-R-A-S. If somebody has charisma, they are gifted. And the word grace just simply means gift. That is why in Romans, the Bible says it is by grace 
that we are saved. Saved there means we become a new person. Jesus used the terms born over again. It is grace that gives us eternal life. It is grace that takes our sins away from us. It is grace that makes us a member of God's family. You know, I hope that no one here today has any any smidgen of a thought that you or I are going to get to heaven because we are good people. You know, I talk to people sometimes like that. Well, do you know for sure if you're going to heaven? Well, yeah, I think I'm a pretty good person. (laughs) There's no way that anybody can get into heaven like that. The Bible said it, it is by grace that we are saved through faith. I mean, grace has to be received some way, and it's received by trusting through faith. And that, the Bible says, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, here's what happens in, in religion. And before I get into this, have you ever had a family member make a deal? Maybe they offered to sell something to somebody, and you knew they offered to sell it way too. They just hadn't thought what it was. Do you know how you feel sometimes, and you want to like go say, well, wait a minute, you know, uh, I'm not sure. That, that price is too low. Let's talk about that a little more. It's kind of awkward, you know, if your husband is about to sell something, and he's selling it too cheap, or, or they're going to give away something that has real value. And sometimes we have this urge to step in. Maybe it's our kids that are trying to make a deal, and they're not making a good deal, and we want to just kind of stop the deal in the middle and say, wait a minute, there should be more to it than that. That is what religion does. We kind of like try to protect God. Wait a minute, God? You got to like forgive all these people and and like not hold their sin against them and and just take them just as they are with all their problems and hang-ups? And religion says, wait a minute, that that deal shouldn't go down. It's too easy. Maybe what we need to do is to have some guilt in there. Because at least if God's going to give away salvation, if God is going to give away heaven and eternal life, and people have done all these wrong things, maybe we should at least have some guilt in there to offset this thing. And how many of us have been part of a religious experience in which the primary motivation for all the things that you're supposed to do for God is guilt over all the stuff you've done wrong in the past? Could I ask you a question? You think God really wants, first of all, I don't think God wants a lot of the help that he gets from churches. You know? But do, do you want a relationship like that? I mean, if you're, if you're going like to get serious with a guy or gal and, and you're getting close to, to making a life-changing decision about your relationship, do you want her to react to you on the basis of guilt for all the things that she's done wrong? Do you want him to, like, feel guilty? And for some of us, the answer might be Yes. But if you're healthy, you don't. If you're healthy, if you're emotionally healthy, and you're in a serious relationship, you want the other person to do what he or she does out of love. And friends, if you and I, if that's the way we look at things, that is so much the way that God looks at things. So here we have this problem, and and, and the reason, you know, I keep thinking about that Gordon Gecko line from Wall Street, greed is good. I think there are a lot of people, you know, on Church Street that are saying guilt is good. Guilt is good. Guilt is healthy. You need to feel bad about stuff that you've done in your past. But the problem with feeling bad, here's what I've discovered in my Christian life. When I'm feeling really wretched about stuff that I've done in the past, and it keeps replaying and looping in my mind about things that I've done in the past, it does not, listen to me please, I'm about to like free some of you who grew up in church. Not me, but I mean God's word is. When I, when I let that stuff go on in my mind, I do not become a better servant of Jesus Christ. I become a crippled, incompetent servant of Jesus Christ. 
because it does not fuel my spiritual fire. It shuts me down. I don't want you to raise your hands on that, but how many of you have experienced that? It shuts you down. But I'll tell you what, I can get in here like we worshiped a few moments ago with the song that Lance led us in, that band, and, you know, oh, praise the one who paid my debt, you know, and he freed me and raised me, and and I'm thinking, whoo, I want to go out and do something right now. So somebody could say, well, wait a minute, Mark, I'm struggling with this because are you just saying that if I've done something wrong in my past that's wrong, are you just saying that I should just say, well, it didn't matter and it didn't count and therefore it's just unimportant? No. In fact, here's where we're going to get to the secret today, and this is just so big. For some of us who have dealt with guilt, I think this is going to be so freeing the next 20 minutes or so that we spend together. I want to take you to a scripture in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And I want you just to listen to the language here because for many of us, this will be the first time we've ever heard this. Look at this. Verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance. Now, the word repentance there comes from the Greek word metanoia. Meta means change, like you have a prefix of metabolism or metabolic. Meta means change. Noia is thinking. So repentance, you know, many of us have the idea that repentance is some sort of religious out-of-the-body experience. Listen, repentance is just change of mind. I mean, how many of us... You know, today we look back on things that we've done in the past and we thought it was smart at the time. Now we think it's stupid. We've had metanoia. We've had a change of thinking. And, and so this is what the Bible says. Godly sorrow, sorrow about what we've done wrong, brings repentance that leads to salvation. And look at this line. And leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Now, when you think about the things that you and I have done that we're not proud of, whether it's in a sexual area or in any other area of our lives, do you realize that there's two kinds of sorrow that we can have? There's what the Bible calls godly sorrow, and then there's a kind of sorrow that the Bible calls worldly sorrow. Now, here's what is so cool. I mean, I read this and reread this this week, and I just couldn't wait to get here and talk to you about this. It says that godly sorrow brings a change of mind. It leads to God transforming our life. And here is the big one. It, it doesn't leave the taste and the sting of regret that cripples us. In other words, the things that we've done wrong, if we have godly sorrow, we are actually able to get free from those things and walk away and not live a life of regret. On the other hand, there is a worldly sorrow. Now, when, when the Bible says worldly here, it's just like trying to process life absent God. It is like trying to figure this out on my own. So what would worldly sorrow be? It would be, man, I feel terrible about what I've done. I don't know what to do about it. I'm just going to bump along the bottom here and try to figure it out. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a quintessential definition or the quintessential definition of guilt. Worldly sorrow here is guilt. It's feeling bad about what we've done wrong but not knowing what to do about it. There's some, there, there are things that you, know, you can do wrong and if, you, know, you, know, you can replace it. If I, if I borrowed your lawnmower and I ruined it, I'd feel bad about it. You'd feel really bad about it. But I could go over to Home Depot or something, wherever you bought the lawnmower, and I could buy you a new one. I could roll it into your driveway and say, here, I'm sorry for what I've done, but here's another lawnmower. But listen, listen, let me tell you this. There are things that you can do that are wrong that you can't replace. You take somebody's wife, you take somebody's husband, you know, you hurt someone. There are many things in life that we do that we cannot replace. And so if we have worldly sorrow about it, what do we do? We go back and we replay it and we replay it. And we don't know what to do with it because we can't undo it. 
And we say to ourselves, well, if things had been different or if I'd been in a different situation, I wouldn't have done this. And, and so that's what happens with guilt. And, and here's the problem. Boy, I, I hope I know how to say this, and I'm going to try my best in, in, in my prayers that God will just really help us understand this. There are many of us who are Christ followers, but we have worldly sorrow. And so that's why we ask the question, well, can God forgive me? Because even though we know the message and we believe that Jesus died for our sins and we believe that we are forgiven and God gives us grace, it's like, but I still feel so bad about what I did. Now, there's the clincher. Because according to the Bible, if you have godly sorrow, you encounter God. And when you walk away, you don't have that bad feeling hanging over you. Because one more time, let me just show you this. The Bible says godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Well, I shouldn't give away my topic at the beginning, but that's what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about sexual healing, not just forgiveness, but sexual, in, in as far as other sins go, healing, healing. Well, if you want to see, if you want to see how it doesn't work right, all you have to do is go back to the book of Genesis chapter 3 for our first parents. Because our first parents sinned, and we're going to notice that they tried three different things, and everything they tried... It, like the Bible says, it led to death. And I'm not talking about, you know, physical death. I'm just saying everything they tried failed. There are three things that we try to do when we have worldly sorrow, especially about sexual sin. And remember this. One of the reasons why Satan hits us so hard in the sexual area is that that is the quickest route to shame in our lives. He knows that. So in this case, Adam and Eve, they don't have a sexual sin going. You know, that's, this is the very first sin. They disobeyed God, and now they're in trouble. And what we read and what we talked about earlier, I think in the first message on Pillow Talk, we said that when God made Adam and Eve, they had perfect sex. They were naked, and they felt good about it. They had no shame. They had no baggage. They had no, you know, ex, ex-girlfriends or, you know, you know they, they just were in great shape. And God said, I want you living this way, but they sinned against God. And I want you to look at what happened. And before I get into this, how many of us have, have experienced sin and maybe even sexual sin, and at the time we thought it isn't going to be a big deal, but then all of a sudden it hit us, the guilt of it. Let's just read what happened after Adam and Eve sinned. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame. In other words, they didn't think they were going to feel this when they did what was wrong. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Well, there were three things that Adam and Eve did when they sinned against God. Number one, they tried denial. When Adam and Eve sinned, you know, God had already said, if you do this, it's not going to be good, and you're going to suffer for it. Adam and Eve said, we're not going to suffer for it. We're, we're golden. Somehow we're going to get by with this. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Nobody flips God off and wins. And so they were in denial. They said, we can do this, and everything's going to be just fine. But it didn't happen because suddenly they felt guilt. I'm talking to some of you here today, and you say, Mark, I'm not even religious. I'm a pretty secular person. But isn't it strange about sexual sin is that mm, we can say it's not going to hurt me. It's going to be fine. But suddenly there's the guilt, denial. Well, the second thing that Adam and Eve did is, is they tried to cover up. Because they, they, they felt shame because they were naked. They didn't know what to do about it. And that's what happens to us, especially if we sin in a sexual area. It's like, well, ooh, I've got to cover this up, and I can't let people know about it. My wife can't find out about it. My husband can't find out about it. My parents can't find out about it. 
gal I'm dating can't find out about it. And I just, I got to find some way to cover this up. And they did, but not very well. They sewed fig leaves together. Now, fig leaves from this region were very rough on the edges, even thorny. And beyond that, they caused, I'm trying to be discreet about this, caused itching. Now, why did they do that? Could there have been better leaves? I'm thinking about a whole bunch of better leaves they could have tried. But I think God is trying to tell us that's what happens when we try to cover up our sin. Is, how many of us can say today, that, yeah, when we did something wrong, it hurt us, but the cover-up hurt us even more. That's what we learned from Watergate. And we try to carry it, you know, and say, well, I'm just hoping that he doesn't find out. I'm just hoping that she doesn't find out. And yet we go to bed and we think about that at night and it messes up our relationships. We wake up in the morning and it's there and it's like, oh, it's the cover-up that is so painful. So they tried, you know, they tried denial. They tried the cover-up. And then they had the pain, the third thing. They thought they could live in pain. What really happened for Adam and Eve that's so wonderful is that God didn't let that chain go on because God wanted them to experience godly sorrow. God wanted them to experience the kind of feeling that would lead to freedom after what they had done wrong. So God confronted them. And here's what's really, and I don't have time to develop that. You can read it in Genesis 3 if you want to, but at the end of the chapter, the Bible says, the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and Eve, his wife. I'm sure the sheepskin felt a lot better. But that's the nature of God, covering. That is the nature of how God works in our lives. Now, I could be talking to somebody here today, and you say, well, Mark, listen, I've got stuff in my past, but it would be too expensive to deal with. You just don't know the expense that it would create to deal with. Could I ask you a question? How are you dealing with the expense of carrying it around? And beyond that, here's the deal. You can never experience, because you say, well, Mark, listen, if I brought it to the light, if I dealt with it, it would just cause pain in all my relationships. Let me, let me ask you about this. Would you feel that way if you knew that what you're doing right now is keeping God from being able to bring healing to you? I honestly believe that many Christians want to experience forgiveness without experience healing because they know if they were to do what they really need to do, it would be challenging. David was a great man in the Bible. Yes, the one who killed Goliath. But his story is so much larger than that. He became king of Israel. He was a godly man in many respects. When you read the book of Psalms, those, you know, those wonderful songs about God, uh, most of those are written by David. <clears throat> in fact, he wrote the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is My Shepherd. But in his middle years, I'm guessing he was about in his early to mid-50s, David had been very successful. His kingdom was the greatest in the world. You know, when they, they, were, they weren't being attacked by outside armies very much. And so there was a time when, you know, they sort of had a lot of battle season. It was time to go off to war. And David said, guys, I don't think I'm going to go this year. I think I'm just going to hang around the palace and chill. And so he sent his armies out, and they were kind of like conducting the battle. And David's up on top of his house, one of the palaces. And um, next door was a young army bride who's taking a bath. Uh, Nothing wrong with that on her part because baths were in the middle of the house. They were in what we would call a courtyard, and they were shielded from street level, but not shielded from the level where David was. And David's up on top of his 
house, and he's checking out this gal next door, and she doesn't have any clothes. She's taking a bath, and David, you know, it's one thing. You know what it's like if you happen to see something that isn't right. It's one thing to see it in his glance. It's something else to just keep checking it out, keep checking it out, keep checking it out. And that's what David did. One thing led to another. David said to one of his men, hey, I'd like for you to go invite her over to the palace. And then when she came to the palace, I mean, after all, David is king. What's she going to do? David does what he wants to do. And he says, first of all, he's in denial. I can, do, I can handle this. I just, you know, just did something and, 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 and gave in. And, and he was in denial. But it wasn't long before the situation got really bad because Bathsheba emailed him and said, I'm pregnant. So David's thinking to himself, I've got to keep this cover-up going. What am I going to do? Because if the word gets out that the king brought home a, an army, army guy's bride, brought her to the palace, had sex with her, that would get out and, and David would be a pariah. And so David said, I've got to do something. And so, you know, he, he sends a message to his <clears throat> top general and said, I want you to send this gal's husband Uriah. Send him home. He figured he would come home, be with his wife. The pregnancy would just seem to be a result of that of that situation, David thought he would just cover everything up. But the guy, Uriah, was a very noble man. And when he got back, he said, how can I go in and have time with my wife when my buddies are in the field and lying in the ground? He said, I can't do that. He said, I'm just going to sleep in the hallway here. David got him drunk. And even drunk, he had more virtue than David did. He still wouldn't go home to his wife. Almost unthinkable that the guy who could write the 23rd Psalm could write the note that he wrote. Because he had to find some way in his mind to get rid of Uriah. That's what the cover-up does. One bad thing leads to another bad thing. And he wrote out a note, and the note was written to his general, and basically the note said this, put Uriah up in the very front of the battle where the guys who, who are there are sure to be killed. Sealed the note and gave it to Uriah to deliver. Uriah basically delivered his own death sentence. And David's general wrote him back and said, Hey, everything is cool. Everything is fine. Uriah is dead. And David married the young war widow, brought her into his house, and it looked like everything was fine. I mean, instead of David being considered a pariah, everybody was saying around town, What a great king we have. Look at what a noble thing he did for this young war widow. You can read that whole story in the book of 2 Samuel. The very last line of that chapter said, But the thing that David did made God mad. You say, Mark, I can get by with it because I am a Christian. Let me tell you, if David couldn't get by with it, the guy the Bible says was a guy that was like God, if he can't get by with it, Mark can't get by with it. And so here's the thing I want to get to. For a while, David wrestled with this. You know, at first he was in denial, then he was in cover-up mode. Now he's got the pain of those fig leaves. They're just causing him all kinds of grief. But he's stubborn, and he's not going to deal with it because if he dealt with it, it might be complicated. But I want you to listen to what he wrote. Listen to what he journaled one day. We have it for us in Psalm 33. He said, when I refused to confess my sin... My body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. Listen to this. All my guilt is gone. 
Now, for some of you today, you're going to say, well, wait a minute, Mark. I don't think that's fair. God let David off too easy. Let me tell you something. Read the rest of David's life. I'm not sure David ever saw another good day. One catastrophe after another. But here's the point. David was free on the inside. He suffered the natural consequences of what he did wrong, but his relationship with God was free. Let me, um, let me close by showing you what it looks like. In the Bible, there are a number of ladies named Mary. Sometimes it's kind of hard to sort out which Mary is which Mary. But there's one Mary that we call Mary Magdalene. That would be like if somebody called me Mark Wichita. My name is Mark. I'm from Wichita. Mary was from a town called Magdala, similar-sounding name. And we read about her in the Bible, and it's really cool because she seems to be just a key part of what God was doing in Jesus' life. She was at the cross. She helped embalm the body. She went there the morning after Jesus rose from the grave. I'm sure she was part of the early church. Mary Magdalene is an awesome lady. But not at the beginning of the story. There's a lot that we don't know, and we have to kind of fill in the gaps here, but Mary is from a town that was known for prostitution. And the town was so bad and notorious for prostitution that eventually it was destroyed for that very reason. It's very possible that she was a hooker. I'm always telling you guys I don't like religion because religion can't do anything for somebody like Mary. You do everything right. You don't make any mistakes. If you're in a works-based religion, if you can cover stuff up pretty good, you can come in and be part of that. But Mary couldn't be part of any of that because she's an outcast. Mark would say about her that she was infested. And I don't know what this means specifically, but I'll just go with what Mark said. Or Peter, writing through Mark, said that she was infested with seven demons. Now, listen, if you've got one demon on your case, that's pretty rough, I guess. But if you've got seven, you're in real trouble. In other words, and, and here's the deal, and I don't want to get into a message on, on, on demons. Maybe we'll do that someday. But basically what happens is just you open your life to Satan. He comes in and takes control. And Mary had done that so many times. She had opened herself up to Satan so many times that he was just basically controlling her life. There's nothing that religion can do for her. Too late. But one day a young man came to her town, and he was no ordinary young man. And he had no ordinary message of religion. He had a message of grace, transforming grace. And I don't know when it happened. The Bible doesn't record it. We'll ask her when we get to heaven. But Mary heard the same message that I present to you about the grace of God. And she was transformed. It was probably pretty soon after this that a Pharisee had dinner, a dinner party. And I think personally the story, the woman in the story is Mary Magdalene. It was really kind of an interesting thing because Jesus was not the guest of honor at this dinner party. He just was one of the 
He was one of the people who was invited. Simon was a leading Pharisee. The Pharisees were the most religious people in Jesus' day. They thought they did everything right, and they sure would have had no place for somebody like Mary. And while the dinner was going on, Mary walked in, and she had a box of perfume that was very expensive, possibly bought from her earnings. And she went over and opened the box and poured the contents on Jesus. And in the middle of all this, Simon was freaked. And it, she hadn't thought it through, and it went everywhere. And it got on his feet, and she took her hair down. And she used her hair as a towel to wipe Jesus' feet and kissed his feet. Simon was thinking to himself about Jesus. This guy can't be anything. In fact, he said, this guy can't be a man of God. He's supposed to know stuff like this. can't believe you let this happen. If this, if this was a man from God, he would have known, listen, this is what the Bible says, he would have known what kind of woman she is. I want to tell you what Simon did not know was what kind of woman she was right then. And he just thought this. The coolest line, and Jesus, the Bible says, answered his thoughts. Now that must have been really something. Because <laughs> the guy had said, if he'd been a man of God, he'd have known what kind of woman this was. Jesus knew a lot more than Simon realized. He realized what kind of man Simon was. He said, Simon, I got something I want to talk to you about. Simon said, okay, go, right, go for it. He said, there was a the man who um, loaned out 500 pieces of silver to one guy. And he loaned another guy 50 pieces of silver. And out of the goodness of his heart, he just said to both guys, you're both forgiven. And Jesus said, Simon, which one of those two guys do you think would love him more? And he was backed into a corner, so he grudgingly had to say, well, I guess the guy who was forgiven the most. Jesus said, bingo, you got it. He said, I came in here and you didn't give me a kiss on the cheek, which was standard. But he said, this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. I came in here and you didn't offer me any, any sign of respect of olive oil or oil that they would place on a person's head. But he said, she has anointed my head with perfume. And twice, Jesus said, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. It is there I'd like to pick up the text. Because this is just too good. Verse 48, Luke 7. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? You ready for this, guys? For any of you who've lived in guilt, you're about to get freed, or you could be. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I was reading that in Greek, and when I did, I looked and I said, that's not the usual word for saved. I quickly pulled out a lexicon for the definition. Do you know what the word actually was? healed. Jesus said she'd already been forgiven. Here's a woman who had been a hooker 
Who's, here's a woman who'd been with so many men, she, couldn't, she never knew their names. Most of them couldn't remember their names. She had no hope. But she had an encounter with Jesus, and she got forgiven. And now he said, your faith has healed you. No wonder she went on. I mean, she became an awesome lady. Do you realize that when the disciples got to the empty tomb on the morning of Jesus' you know, resurrection, they ran off not knowing what was going on, and Mary just stood there waiting. She was crying. And a guy came up, and she thought he was the gardener, and just listened to the love that she had in her heart. She said to him, sir, if he's too much trouble for you, if having him here in your graveyard is too much trouble to you, would you just please tell me where he is, and I'll take, care, I'll take charge of this. And the person was Jesus, and all he had to do was call her name, Mary. And the Bible says, Mary ran off to tell people. Do you realize that the person, the first person to run off with the message of the resurrection was a woman who had probably been a hooker? And yet she was the first one to carry the good news that Jesus was alive again. Why? Because Mary had not only been forgiven, she wasn't the person she used to be. She had been healed. This and I'm through. What was it that Jesus said to Mary had caused her to be healed? He said, your faith What did he mean by that? Faith, because a lot of us are creeped out because some crazy stuff, you know, that people do on television. I'm asking God for a new car. I'm believing God, and God's giving me, no, no, (laughs) no. Faith is just taking God at his word. Well, what did she take God at his word for? That she could be healed. She took God at his word that she didn't have to be the person that she used to be. I mean, basically, she heard the message of grace and said, that's for me. I believe it. And Jesus said, you are healed. The reason why so many Christ followers are not healed is we have worldly sorrow. We believe the message of grace, but we don't accept it. It's just sounding too good to be true. I want to pray. This will be kind of disjointed, maybe. But I want to pray two prayers with you today. I usually pray a prayer of salvation and give you a chance to accept Christ, and I'm going to do that. But before I do, I want to pray a prayer with you for those of you who have already accepted Christ. But you're still living in guilt. And you don't need to pray this out loud, because I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads, please, just throughout the congregation, so nobody's going to... Look at you and notice you. But if you've already accepted Christ, but you still struggle with guilt, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Maybe not these exact words, but just whatever comes from your heart. But here we go. Jesus, I have accepted you as my Lord and Savior. But today I come in faith believing that you have taken my sins away. I do feel bad about what I've done wrong. But instead of trying to make it right myself, I trust your work on the cross to take my sin away. 
Today, I'm owning up to my past. I've stopped trying to cover it up. And I am leaving it with you. Free me to be the person you made me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. You could be here today and you've never had a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never been religious at all or maybe you've been very religious. Trust me, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters until you know Jesus. And here's what Scripture says. We just talked about him rising from the grave. He's alive. He's God. He's listening for you. Scripture says he knows the numbers of hairs on your head. And he knows what's going on inside your head. I started off today talking about grace. Grace is God's gift to you through Jesus Christ. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never received God's forgiveness and his transforming power, I want to pray a prayer. And it'll be slow and short, but if you mean it from your heart, you can pray with me. Here we go. Jesus, I believe you did die for my sins. There's much I don't understand, but I do trust you as my Savior. Forgive me for my sins. Come into my life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I'd like to ask you to do something. Um, There's a part of your worship folder that's detachable, and you can just put your name and address on there and check the box that I pray with Mark Day. The reason why that's important is I have a gift I want to give you. It won't cost you anything. It's just a vinyl packet that's got some great stuff in it, some DVDs and great material to help you know what steps to take next and the power of the decision that you just made. And if you're, I know when we leave here, we're all rushing around. We've got kids, to, many of us, to, to check out. If you don't have time, if you would just take that card that you've filled out and drop it in the offering plate of the boxes at the back doors at the bottom of the staircase, I'll mail this to you this week. If you do have time to stop, you don't have to wait for me to mail it. I'm going to point right through those middle doors, and right beyond there, there are two zones called New Spring Store and guest services. If you'll bring your card back there, you can just take this home with you today because it's free. It won't cost you anything. We just want you to know Jesus. That's what it's all about. Guys, I have had a lot of fun and a lot of joy in doing this Pillow Talk series. And thank you, thank you, thank you for the avalanche of emails of sharing with me what God is doing in your lives. I've never been so blown away by what God has done in a series as he has in Pillow Talk. And every day, I just like to open my email box, and there's another awesome, awesome story. Folks, you're kind to me, but let me tell you, it's God who's doing that in this church. And I'm so glad you're at New Spring. Um, I start running next week. Uh, awesome series. I can't wait to get going. And uh, we'll see you, God willing, next weekend.